Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox in the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking to Corey Watari and Mike Wu, the duo behind the wonderful children's book, I Am Able to Shine, which is releasing on May 1st, right at the start of AAPI Heritage Month, Asian and Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Um, Corey and Mike were absolutely fantastic to talk to. We got into a discussion about the book specifically, about a- Asian representation in media, about Corey's specific journey, about Mike's specific journey. We talked about illustration. We talked about authorship. We talked about uh, Women's History Month because we're here right at the tail end of Women's History Month in America. It was such a powerful conversation that I don't want to take up any more of your time. I just want you to get to the episode and hear it. Um, But I would say before we are able to do that, I do want to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Snuffy. Snuffy is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C-O. And the owner and operator of Snuffy is a good friend of the podcast, Nick Silvestri, who designed the Detox Podcast logo. So if you like the logo and you want to go support him, go check it out at snuffy.co. And is brought to you by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is everything. And Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on nostalgia overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours, but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at theempiretoys.com. Now, without further ado, Here's my episode with Corey Watari and Mike Wood. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time, I am super excited to talk to this fantastic duo here in the show today, in the show, like at the show, because of the show, whatever, in the virtual Zoom room. I'm acting like I'm back physically in a studio, but we're still in the virtual Zoom room. Corey, Watari, Mike Wu, how are the pair of you doing today? We're good. We're doing We're good. Doing great. Getting through it, you know. Happy <laughs> we, to be with you. Yes. Thanks for having us. Of course. The weather's starting to warm up a little bit. I mean, people might yes. be listening to this in the dead of winter in the future. Who knows? But right now, in mm-hmm. spring 2022, I know y'all are in, in the in sunny California. I'm down here in heat stricken Texas, but regardless, <laughs> we're getting a little bit of that sunshine peeking through, a little bit of that warmer weather. Spring is starting to Spring is starting to spring. Spring is starting. Spring has sprung. Spring is sprung. sprunging. I don't know that that's a word, but we'll use it, right? <laughs> um, so here at the Detox Podcast, what we like to do is we like to invite people to quote unquote detox from the world around them for about 45 minutes, an hour, however long the episode is, and just listen to a perspective they may not be familiar with so they can help go educate themselves and make a more inclusive world. So to kick off the episodes, I do like to ask my guests, what are you detoxing from? And Corey, I'll start with you. Oh, well, I think the state of the world right now, there's just yeah. so much going on 
that I feel like the big thing I'm trying to stay just focused on positivity. Yeah. Um, I think in the household, especially with, you know, we have two young kids and um, I think there's a lot of stuff happening in the media and in general, and just, just again, just trying to stay, I think positive and just not get so caught up in the stresses of the world Definitely. is what I would say. And Mike, how about you? I think I would share the same sentiment generally, you know, I had my fill of politics, I think for the last <laughs> few years and sure. definitely want to kind of clean my hands and my brain of that and any, any better distraction that yeah. is coming down my way, I will gladly receive. <laughs> it is, it can be a lot right? There's been so much that I think there's been so much in, there's always a lot going on, but I think mm -hmm. what we've seen in the last two years specifically COVID aside, but then mm -hmm. also things that have manifested as a result of COVID. So talking about uh, an increase, right? In violence in the AAPI community specifically, yes. right? And so, um, and we'll, we'll, we can talk a little bit about that as well, as far as the underrepresentation in the media. And that's one of the things that I want to cover as well with the wonderful book, uh, I am able to shine. Um, but just an, an, an increase in some of those, uh, those types of um, uh, negative is not a strong enough word, but horrific, I would say, actions um, that we've seen over just the short period of time. And then we continue to see other what I feel like I'm getting tired of hearing the word unprecedented with a lot mm -hmm. of these headlines. Um, and so it can be a lot. So I say all of that to say. I think it is important for us as individuals, for us as parents, for us as creatives to understand what's going on and then have the ability to, to Mike, like you said, cleanse the palate a bit um, and, and then almost, almost reground ourselves with our immediate family and our immediate community to then be able to have the strength to, to go out and continue to make, make a difference in the ways that we can. Um, and so kind of along those lines, Corey, I'd like to know what was the, what was the origin or the, the, the initial thought to write this specific book at this specific point in time? Yeah, it's so interesting because um, I am able to shine. Of course, it was, a, it was a process and it was sort of a tiny seed for a long time. Um, I don't get into the, the way backstory because it goes kind of far back, but I would say um, during the pandemic is when Mike and I really, you know, actually even before there was like so much of the AAPI violence on TV, but just, we just started talking about it. And um, I think becoming a parent was also a huge kind of milestone where um, when our oldest daughter started going to school, because um, the great thing about kids is they didn't, she never really saw color. Sure. You know, she didn't really see a lot of differences. The differences were like, this person can, you know, maybe swing on the monkey bars or, <laughs> you know, something of that sort. And when she started asking questions and started saying, oh, mommy, that person looks like me. She has dark hair like me. Or she has dark eyes like me. I started just like the light bulb went off. Like, let's start look looking for some books right. that will really, you know, sort of educate her and help her kind of feel that sense of more belonging and that, um, uh, just something she could relate to. And so when I started looking out in the marketplace, it was actually sort of, of a huge eye-opening experience for me and disheartening because I, I literally couldn't find something that was, well, I, I'm Japanese American and Mike is Chinese American. And I 
didn't find anything that was Japanese American that sort of had this similar message of empowerment for kids and that self-love yeah. and that you belong. And so I decided to write it. Um, again, it was such a evolution of a project because um, it was always about empowerment, but the more we started developing it and the more I kind of sort of looked into myself, it became a lot more about me than I thought it was ever going to be. Yeah, Just about, you know, not exact experiences, but a, a lot of the internal feelings that I had as a kid growing up and sometimes even now, you know, I'm coming to the point that where I am in my life now as a mother, as a writer. Um, and, you know, the pandemic was just sort of the, I don't even know the, the icing on top, you know, that it was already the seed and it was already being written, but the pandemic gave us the time and then the focus. Um, and right when we were finishing the manuscript is when the, I feel like there was a lot more of the violence starting to happen. So it just sort of was, it was the weirdest timing, I guess, in that sense that we were working on it. And I felt like it was almost like a mission all of a sudden that mm. it was meant to happen even though it, it didn't feel that way in the beginning. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually even think anyone wanted to publish this book. I wasn't sure, you know, you're, it's like your confidence is always, you know, you're always underconfident. And, um, um, but I knew it was something special and I knew it was something that I hadn't seen out there. And it was real, of course, personal and really important to me. Right. So thank you for asking. <laughs> of course. No, thank you for sharing that. And I realized I did a bit of a disservice to the listeners. So if you're listening, we've said AAPI quite a bit. So Asian American Pacific Islander is what Islander, AAPI yes. stands for. And so knowing that this book is launching, is releasing at the start of AAPI Heritage Month, um, mm -hmm. I would like both of you to kind of walk me through your own experience with, um, I would say, I think you reference it within the book, the... Um, it is, uh, where did I write this down? Oh my goodness, it's been a third generation, um, yes. third generation individual of mm -hmm. um, Asian American descent mm -hmm. within uh, the country. So I know there is mm -hmm. a word for San oh, it's, Sansei. Oh, it's, yeah, that's okay. It's Give Sansei, me. which Sansei. means three or third generation Japanese American, yes. um, which means my grandparents came over from Japan. And so they were the first settlers here. And then my parents were born here. And then obviously then I was born here. So it, there's a lot of things obviously that we do that are sort of, I guess, in a sense, traditional-ish, but it, there's definitely a lot of American spin on a lot of what I do. And so, but the, I guess the foundation um, of what, you know, your values are and uh, you know, a lot of the the things and the family and the support and things are obviously really true to, um, I think, Asian culture. Um, and even just, I know in, in the, if, if you do pick up, I am able to shine in the back matter where I have my author's note, um, there's a word called gaman, which um, is what my grandmother, or we used to call her bachan, um, she would say, which is to be tolerant persistent and it's sort of implied in a quieter way because um because of the sorry to go way back but the history of japanese american and the concentration camps from world yes. war ii yep. that's sort of the origin of that word um and that's what the people did and it's right. such a such a milestone of an event because it it has um 
sort of influenced how I would say a lot of what, you know, my family and how we act and, and just what's inherent in Asian culture to just be sort of, you know, private and keeping, you know, keeping sort of your feelings to yourself. So um, I digress, but writing this book was sort of in that way, it was, it was a challenge for me as well to be so open about everything. Um, And, but something I'm so proud to represent as a Japanese American, I think, and to share the story and to hope that other kids of all walks of life could feel that they belong and that what they do matters. Um, And that, you know, that they can inspire other kids to do the same as well. Definitely. So thank you for sharing that, Mike, I'd like to get your perspective on what AAPI Heritage Month has historically meant to you and your individual experience. You know, I I think um, I've kind of followed a a different path than Corey because I'm first generation where my parents, they immigrated here and then I was the first to be born in the States. Um, And I grew up in New York City, Chinatown. Mm -hmm. So I was always, I guess, in a a bubble within Chinatown. There was kind of like a comfort level because you know, there would be uh, certain streets within the neighborhood that was like a border, right? You know, sure. and and if you when you cross, it's what was Canal Street. If you cross right. that and become the Little Italy, and you start going right. into like what is now the Soho area and all that kind of stuff. Right. But um, but I always knew that you know our family was different in the sense that when I went to school, the public school system, that's where I would come out of that bubble yeah you know and i would have to in a sense force to assimilate or whatnot yeah. which is good i wouldn't say that that's a negative thing uh however um you know with recent the last three uh, few years mm-hmm. you know i i think there's always been like a safety net yeah you know a place that you call home that you can kind of recede to or take shelter in say a chinatown or or, or whatnot and and uh that doesn't seem to be so much the case anymore you know like yep. my family still lives there and then i worry for my mom yeah, yeah. you know i worry that s- something egregious is going to happen uh and i try to tell her to to stay <laughs> safe but and and you know like don't wander too far and then the sad thing is why do you have to live in fear yes why do you have to live like that right you know it wasn't like that growing up you know yeah. it wasn't you know, it wasn't like a situation where if you went somewhere and took a train that you might fear that someone's going to push you in front of a train or something, right? you know, uh, outrageous, you know. Um, but I'm very grateful that in this next, in this generation now, I feel like that in the times that we are, as much as there's been this negativity and backlash, there's also been a lot of support. Yeah. There's also been a lot more awareness because there wasn't the AAPI growing up. Right. There wasn't an awareness month, you know, actually everyone's starting to have this space and have a voice to speak, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel it really great that there is space and there's recognition, but there's still a lot of work to do because I think it's just the beginning. Yes, absolutely. I think you, you put it very well referencing you know it 
there is a lot of fear and a lot of support, but we're not there yet, right? I think the first step, um, I've spoken about this before, when, when, when I would say a lot of um, folks that look and sound like me, so cisgender white men saying, how do I help? Well, first we need to have awareness. Let's get you educated. Let's let you know about what's going on and how you've not been privy to what's been going on because it hasn't been um, in that in your bubble. Now let's start making a safe space for all. Let's let's you person that I'm talking to that is also another white individual like myself. Let's go to the spaces where we are welcome and make those spaces safe for all. Let's do the work and not put the work on the different communities, right? And so. That's, I think it starts with the awareness and it starts with the work. And then it starts with having folks not have to fear taking a bus home, taking a train home, mm -hmm. but they can live and thrive and have their, their day-to-day -day life like, like they're entitled to. Everybody is entitled to have that, right? So, um, it doesn't, yeah, no, I sorry. feel like it, it's not going to take, actually, let me take that back. It's going to take a tremendous effort, yeah. but everyone needs to be involved. Yeah. And everyone needs to speak up. If you see something yeah. happening, I see a lot of people turning away, yeah. you know, like on the videos that are being shared or whatnot. And I get it. If I was there, what would I do? You know, yeah. it's easy to say I'd jump in and do whatnot. But honestly, if a few people stood up to whoever was bullying, saying yeah. negative, they might yeah. stop. Right. They really might. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm almost certain that yeah. they would they would defuse the situation. But too many people are turning the other way. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I just think about the lessons I was taught as a, as a kid about like, what do you do to bullies? You stand up to them, you, 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 you work together and you help diffuse the situation. It's like, well, let's just carry those lessons learned in kindergarten and first grade. Right. And let's, <laughs> let's apply them, um, as, as grownups. Um, well said, thank you for sharing that, Mike. Uh, Corey, we talked about representation mattering and mm -hmm. can you walk us through the underrepresentation of Asian Americans in the media and the importance of children seeing role models that look like them, like we're seeing in this book, I am able mm -hmm. to shine. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it goes back to, again, when I think when I was young, um, you know, watching the limited TV that you have, you know, oh, come on, you know, sound of music is on, everyone gather around, you know. <laughs> but I remember my parents, you know, they'd say, oh, look, Trisha Toyota's on TV. She's a newscaster, you know. Oh, right. Connie Chung, like we, I literally could count, you know, and I'd always, yeah. why are they so, you know, you know, like, why is it was why like a big deal? Yeah, it was a huge deal, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it, I mean, but it did, it's so funny how you don't think about it then because we were so used to, growing up and not seeing representation right. um, and to see it now happening is just so it's, it's encouraging, you know, and I think for families and for other um, people with kids and again, all races, it's sort of an awakening in general, right. which I think has been great to see. Um, however, I do think obviously like Micah said, there is a lot of work still to be done because I think, if I were, if I remember correctly, I think um, Asian American representation in books is still like 10% or less wow. of all. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's less than 10%. It's, you know, and then again, yeah. in the media and yeah. in film, I mean, luckily there's, you know, some of these films like turning, turning red turning and red. not to say that, <laughs> that but you yeah. know, or <laughs> shame to, like <laughs> shameless plug, but yes, right? but it's, <laughs> it's great to see that that is caught on and that people are mm -hmm. seeing it and mm -hmm. they're liking it. And, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, again, I, I, it's encouraging. Yeah. Um, 
No, that's a good point. I mean, we're just now, so uh, uh, I will say, so uh, next week's guest, Stephen Lee, was on the show, uh, is going to be on the show to talk about his book, uh, K-Pop Revolution. And one of the things that he's spoken about quite a bit is the fact that Korean media is is now transcending through into a lot of mainstream media and, and talking about uh, Korea working on um, entertainment as an export um, because mm-hmm. of the necessity to have an export from the country and what they've worked towards and how you're seeing things like Squid Game bursting through and Parasite. And these these are not... They feel, I would say, novel to a lot of individuals, but it's not novel because of the work that's been done years over years over years to get to this point. And so seeing sh- films like Turning Red, right, which are catching on and are being so popular. And um, uh, we've watched it a minimum of 10 times, I know, uh, in our household. Um, and I, and we were on a road trip recently where my daughter was watching it in the, ba- in the back seat in the iPad with the headphones on. And I knew the exact moment when she turned into a red panda because I could hear the same exact squeal of laughter every single time. So that's just... <laughs> From the Shaw household, that's what's going on. So, but but seeing the seeing these representation, right, and then having mm-hmm. these conversations, and then it sparks conversations. My daughter's asking, like, yeah. what are they? You know, what is the temple? What are they doing? What are they eating? What are their traditions? Let's let's mm-hmm. learn about this. Mm-hmm. And this is so fascinating. This is wonderful. And now, the world is opened up, right? I, I read something that like, um, um, you know, racism is taught. Right. And so it, it's not born, it's bred. And so by understanding and having the conversations in the representation at a young mm-hmm. age and having those those key moments in representation and and having those important conversations, then you're able to raise someone that sees the world holistically and is able to mm-hmm. to see the wonderful nuance in everything as mm-hmm. opposed to just one way or another. Um, mm-hmm. So, but, but speaking about um, the illustrations for that, Mike, talk about the, because you illustrated the book, I would love to know what, um, what did you draw on for your inspirations for drawing the main character, for drawing the scenes? How did you approach uh, drawing or illustrating this book? Um, that's a good question. I definitely, uh, I have an affinity for uh, like an Asian sumi brush, you know, a Japanese sumi brush or just the Asian thick and thin, mm-hmm. dark brush line that you would see in calligraphy or Asian artwork. And we wanted to echo that mm-hmm. in the artwork and have that really bold and expressive. Um, and there was a, a, a Japanese illustrator. You remember her name? Was it Miyuki? I think it's my, it is Mayuki. Mayuki, yeah. yeah. So she's a famous Japanese illustrator. It's from like the 70s. From the, yeah, 70s. Yeah. Or at least the, the styling. It's, she's kind of a fashion illustrator. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I had a lot of her work up uh, and just seeing how she kind of built out shapes and used line and and the challenge was to 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 not do too much let the blind uh, breathe life without overdoing it without putting too much detail yeah and you know it's a it's a fine balance so so that's that's kind of that was my north star in a sense trying to do that and then having like a simple wash behind it so I would build out the line I would kind of yeah. do a sketch. I would use the calligraphy build out line and I would paint it on rice paper and I'd scan it in and then I would paint another layer 
with watercolor wash and then I would combine them together uh, in Photoshop. I wanted to, to the digital part of it comes in so that I would allow myself a little leeway if somehow I ruined the color, sure. the line would still be usable. Yeah. Um, so, but, but that's in general how I approached it. That it's amazing too to powerful. see how Mike does things because it's, he's such a um, internalist where yeah. I'm, I'm trying to like, what do you, what, how's it going to, what's it going to be? You know, and he'll do sketches. I'm like, oh, that's great. But he literally doesn't almost, it's like a presence. It's like until you open it, yeah. you don't see what he's doing. And then all of a sudden he says all these things he's doing. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm like the opposite where I'm like planning things out. I write my notes, you know, have it all like figured out, but he'll, he has it all in his head. He'll say it's in my head. I've been doing it in my head. Yeah. And then he'll just all of a sudden sit down and literally. Sounds weird. And I'm so like, I'm not procrastinating. I'm actually working. Right. I'm working. I'm thinking about right. it. Right. And and I, I, I sometimes surprise myself because I don't, I don't really know 100%. I have like a gut feeling. And so I tell her I'm discovering it along the way. Even, I love that. even while working with like the editors, I didn't, every time I sent them something, oh, yeah, I always say, I always say it's not final. <laughs> it's not final until like literally you're gonna set pre press print and then because right. <laughs> i'll always still try to change it like at pixar we have a we have a term called cbb and and it that it means could be better <laughs> i'm always looking at some even i look at a book now i'm like he's doing mm, it now to the book the book is done. done and i'm like hmm Maybe I should have done this instead. <laughs> was it? Um, I forget which which um, famous painter it was. I believe it was Mark Rothko, but I could be wrong. Who said you're never you never finish a painting, you just step away from it. Yeah. And so that's what it sounds like you're you're talking about of like, well, uh, I, yeah. I'm not done. I'm just like, all right, you've printed it. Uh, a, a similar quote is like Pixar films are never finished. We just ran out of time. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Because they'll keep yeah. working on it. Literally, right. we, the thing I don't think people know in terms of just creating art or anything that you see like a final book, uh, a movie, you know, or, you know, a screenplay, or I'm sure composition music that's written, there's, it's all iteration. Mm -hmm. We've done it like a hundred times, either in our head, through sketches or drafts. And then when, what you see is the, the culmination of all of those iterations and like hopefully the best version of it all. Yeah. I love that. Um, there's such an inspired, the artwork uh, is what immediately captured my attention when I first read it. And then reading, uh, Corey, the, the inspiring storyline throughout um, really gave me um, uh, hope and uh, assurance about about things because I have a I have a I have a kid who I'm sending off to uh, in-person school for the first time in the fall she's been virtual for the first mm -hmm. two years out of necessity mm -hmm. and so you know I I as a parent right I go to sleep worrying I wake up worrying and in between I manage right mm -hmm. um, is what I like to say but I worry about like well am I am I setting her up for success if I set mm -hmm. her up to to learn and be curious and and be able to make a, a community and friends or am or is she going to follow you know be a follower or fall in with the wrong car or whatever but seeing the inspiring story of the main character and how she's able to lead a I don't want to give anything away but is able to like be able to inspire <laughs> right um mm -hmm. that resonated with me so much so um I 
thank you for writing that first off. And then the question that I have for you, um, I'd like to know kind of, um, you know, we talked a a bit about you kind of seeing yourself in in some of, in some of that work. Mm -hmm. So I would say, what would be, what would be something that you hope when someone picks up and is reading it, what do you hope that they take away Mm -hmm. after finishing the book? Mm -hmm. Good question. Um, I think the, sort of in the middle of the book when, again, not to give anything, but when Keiko finally sort of just Mm. through all her experiences, she looks in the mirror and she truly accepts herself. Yeah. And, you know, she says that, you know, um, that she learns to love herself and she realizes she belongs here and what she does matters. And then that she is able to shine sort of no matter what anyone else says to her, no matter what anyone else will do to her, that she can fully see that for herself. And I think that's something that even, I mean, for me, you know, I, I, I didn't do it as young as Keiko. I literally didn't do it until I was an adult that I really understood that, you know, this is who I am and being Asian American, being a woman you know, that's sort of my superpower. Like I I didn't know that for the longest time, you know, growing up at the time that I did, I literally, there was, you know, I grew up just not to go back that far, but I grew up in a very suburban white neighborhood. And I was one of the few Asian families at my school. And so I didn't want to be me. You know, I didn't, I wasn't telling my parents all the time, oh, you know, this or that I, I fit in because I spoke English and, you know, since I'm third generation, but definitely hid a lot of things that felt too Asian or, you know, I I look at pictures. I was just telling Mike, I was thinking about this. I was looking at pictures of myself from high school and I literally, it made me sad because I had, my hair was like almost blonde. Yeah. You know, I had color contacts. My eyes looked light. And we used to go to the beach all the time because I lived in Southern California sure. and we would get really tanned on purpose. And I didn't look like myself. And at the time, I remember feeling like I wanted to look white. Mm. I didn't want to look Asian, you know, and yeah. it's a it's a weird thing, you know, to kind of realize that. Um, sorry, it even makes me like a little teary no. now. And until yeah. I got older that I realized, you know what, to to be different and be yourself is a beautiful thing. Yes. And until you can embrace it fully, then you're holding yourself back. Yes. And you're well, holding your well voice said. back, you yes. know, and um, sorry, I don't know if I answered the question. No, you, you absolutely did. Right. And I think that's that's key because I think when we as individuals mm-hmm. realize that about ourselves and mm-hmm. embrace it, mm-hmm. um, then we are the representation, not just for ourselves, but for other folks that we don't even realize, Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's our kids, whether it's somebody else's kids, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's an old friend or somebody across the globe that picks Mm -hmm. up this book and reads it. And then that's the representation that they were looking for. Mm -hmm. It, It can be, I think we at times don't realize the impact of making that choice and decision to recognize the superpower that you talked about. And I know, Mm -hmm. you know, we're recording this and this is releasing right at the tail end of women's history month. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about AAPI uh, Mm -hmm. heritage month, history month. So here in, um, well, women's history month here in the United States, um, I believe. Yeah. So I want, I want to know, let's, let's talk about the importance, um, 
for girls to know that they're not they're not so like that they're how did I word this? I wrote it down and I'm like, I'm starting to get teary eyed and I'm like <laughs> losing losing the the point on my end. But but the importance, I would say, of girls recognizing that superpower mm-hmm. and recognizing it for for our kids and for my daughter and for mm-hmm. millions of other daughters to grow up and, and recognize that about themselves. Um, what what would be a lesson um that you would want to impart on the the next generation of women coming up and and just being bosses, right? In all aspects <laughs> of life. I think it's just being true to yourself, you yeah. know? And it, it's hard to say that to a, like a child at an age because I think yeah. obviously you, you have that life experience that you can draw from. But like Mike was saying earlier in the conversation, it's so encouraging to see now so many schools and so many parents and so many organizations and everyone being more inclusive and educating people, like you said, about different backgrounds, different holidays, different walks of life. And, you know, in that respect, I have, um, I'm excited to see what the next generations will bring, but I think it's just not being afraid I think I've, yeah. I grew up with being so afraid to say something and have people stare at me or raise my hand in class to talk about, you know, something that was important to me or just something about my heritage. And um, like, I specifically remember, again, I'm not going to go so far into this. I get emotional, but um, in junior high school, I specifically remember when they spoke about the Japanese um, concentration camps just yeah. briefly and I wanted to say something really badly and I could not, like I had to stop myself. It was yeah. like this internal struggle. And that was like a huge moment for me because I didn't want to cry. I didn't want, and I knew how personal it was because my family, um, my parents, my grandparents all were prisoners in camp. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really emotional and touchy subject. Um, right. And, but again, at the same time, you know, again, feeling encouraged that this generation, I want them to feel empowered and feel that no matter what they do, that they're important yeah. and that they have to voice them, you know, voice what you feel. Yes. Um, and I think that that's something that I'm still learning to do now. It's yeah. still hard for me to do, but I think it's just important for people to feel like what they, what they say matters and it, that they're contributing and that, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you don't have the confidence or you don't think you, you have something to say, but you do. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, well, I couldn't have said it better. That was fantastic. And, and Mike, I want to know, um, from a illustration perspective, right? So, um, my daughter, I've talked about her a lot. She is an aspiring illustrator herself. And so for all of those aspiring illustrators out there, right. Who see such wonderful art, um, specifically in this book, um, what would be a lesson that you would have for them? And then also for the parents I'm pointing at myself who want to nurture that talent as they get older. Um, it's another great question. Uh, and thanks for the kind words. Um, it's, it, you know, this was a new style for me. Like I, I mentioned trying to kind of figure something out that wasn't just like, Oh, I'll draw the Disney style or sure. a Pixar style, which is, you know, I can just do, could I do it every day, but find something unique and specific that matches the tone. Um, it's, you know, I'll, I'll admit it's not, it's a struggle for me too, you know, but 
part of the journey is the struggle. And you probably heard that before. It's like, I like that. I don't know. Yeah. And what I would share um, with aspiring budding artists is don't be fearful. If yeah. you're, you know, not as good as someone else or, um, you know, kind of embrace that, you know, cause that's part of the journey, but also I think one observation since kind of dating myself, but you know, growing up, we didn't have iPads and all this instant access to Google and all that stuff, which is great. You could Pinterest anything <laughs> or Google and Google image, anything, and you'll have instant right. reference. Right. But as a, yeah. as a kid, there was no reference except life. Yeah. And I would say observe life because every day you'll find a kernel of truth in life, something that won't happen again. I love to uh, observe people. That's a part of the job of an animator. Um, yeah. And growing up in New York, a lot of interesting people walking around. So there was always something fun to observe and, and process and, and kind of like file away. Yeah. And I, I, don't think, I don't think enough emphasis is put on to say, taking your kid to a museum. Mm. You know what I mean? Like going to look at great artwork yeah. doesn't have to be, you know, Michelangelo or anything like that. You know, I mean, go to your local, uh, you know, there's a cool exhibit coming in town and, and, and have that appreciation for art. You know I mean, there's, there's a passion that drives artists to, to, to get better, to improve. And I, I guess those are the kind of building blocks I would like to, I don't know, I, I, I'd like to offer as something that kids could kind of put it put in their minds and not and kind of like take away the screen and look at the world yeah you know just even going to the park or the beach and seeing people out there smell that air i mean all of that becomes something in your imagination yeah. and for different artists it comes out in words like Corey, or it comes out in pictures for me and then it, it, it gets expressed through the human condition. But yeah. you need to live and you need to experience and you need to observe to, to be able to create like something new, to create art. Yeah, I love that. Um, thank you for sharing that. I think uh, as, we're, as we're starting to wrap up and before we get to the final segment, um, one last more, I guess, logistical question that I would ask. Uh, and I'll say, uh, Corey, where can people, where's the best way for people to pre-order the books? That way they've got it ready in hand at the beginning of May so they can read it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. um, the, well, the best place to pre-order right now is on Amazon. Perfect. Um, and then eventually it'll be where all books are sold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but pre-order wise, yeah, it'd be on Amazon to pick up I Am Able to Shine. So thank you. Perfect. So we will, thank you so much. No problem. We will put the link in the show notes. So we are we are going to the final segment of the show, which sure. is things to check out. So it's a part where I provide a recommendation of something I'm reading, watching, and or listening to. And I invite my guests to share this with the listeners the same. So I will go first. So we talked very, a lot about representation and the need for representation. So I'm going to give a couple recommendations of AAPI community representation that I appreciate and I want the listeners to know about. So uh, I talked about author Stephen Lee. So his book, K-Pop Revolution, mm -hmm. um, which is a YA book about the K-Pop 
hip-hop industry is releasing um, next month. So you can go check that out. My episode with him will release next week. Um, the movie, we already referenced it. I already had it in my thing to check out Turning Red on Disney+. <laughs> Plus. It's a favorite of the Shaw household. It is fantastic. And it invites wonderful questions um, and a good conversation uh, with your kids. Just not even just about, we've talked about puberty a fair bit, but it's been a good conversation <laughs> to have because one of the thing, one of the pieces of advice I was given as a parent early on was when kids ask questions, you answer the questions they ask. And if they keep asking, then you keep answering. And if they stop, then you stop. And it doesn't need to be a big deal. Questions mm -hmm. are questions. And so you learn about, um, normal aspects of life and then my kids are learning about different cultures and it's it's wonderful all the way around and it's really funny um because i was all i am i am like the main character's age in that time period and so the whole like following the boy bands around and wanting to go to the concert that was me and the band in sync so it's very funny um related a little too hard to it so it was funny um i think i'm more tyler uh than he just minus the bully aspects right i would say um and then the last recommendation i have is uh i'm a huge fan of the show kung fu on the cw so if um if you are looking for a great show i cannot recommend that highly enough um, it is actually set in um, within San Francisco um, at um, a character has gone off to China and comes back and is trying to save her family. And the, there's lots of great action. So I don't want to give any of it away, but it's it's great. So, um, Corey, Mike, what are you watching, reading, listening to that you want the listeners to know about? I think, well, I don't know. I love the books by Kobe Yamada. And he does the, you know, what do you do with your idea? And he has Maybe, which is a beautiful book. Um, I'm not sure. I think maybe that's like two years old. Um, but I find him really inspiring um, with all the books that he's done. Um, another thing that people can check out is the Japanese American National Museum in LA. I think it's J-A-N-M.org, I want to say. If it's not, I'll... I'll send that over to you, Joe, but, um, but it is um, one of the large, I mean, one of the largest Japanese American museums that you can go and they have virtual things you can check out and presentations um, for education. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think, I know, watching wise. I mean, other books that, that were uh, educational and important during during the pandemic. There's been a wave of yeah. picture books oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Isaac Kiss in the, the Corner. Corner. Yep, uh, was Hope. was mm -hmm. uh, really nice to see. I, I, I thought they did a wonderful job. Mm -hmm. uh, I Dream of Paul Paul was another mm -hmm. really nice Trump, one. Yeah. So I feel like we we hope that we can stand beside them yeah. in support of you know that that same vision. You know, um, definitely. In terms of what we're watching, I know. I'm trying to think. I mean, we would have watched Squid Game, but I'm the one who's a chicken. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to watch it. To. I wanted yeah. to watch it, but it, you know, we heard it was like, uh, you have to have a, you know, I don't know, like. <laughs> I'm like shaking with excitement. It was so, so I, I, full disclosure, Netflix knows me too well. It pushed it to me as soon as it was out. And I, I watched one episode and went, this is incredible. Binged it. And then after looked looking up for a weekend, then saw all the headlines that every everybody else did the same thing and went, oh, okay, but cannot, it is, who it's good. It is good. It is good. Um, I will say, um, just like, you know, uh, just know it's, it's a lot sometimes. Um, so, you know, 
pace yourself. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I but it, I mean, it's I, good. we're almost desensitized. If, if we could get through how many seasons of Game of Thrones, I'm sure. Oh yeah. This this should be a walk in the park, right? It's the it's the way the anticipation is amped up mm. that 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 got it for me. Like that was ooh, it was good. It was good. I'm not gonna say anything else. Not at all. So that was wonderful. So if people want to follow you and see what you're up to on social media, what's the best way for them to do that? So for me, I'm on Twitter and it's at Tiny Teru, which I'll spell it's T-E-R-U or Teru, as we would say in Japanese. Um, so it's at Tiny Teru. And then on on Insta, I'm WooDog23, <laughs> W-U-D-O-G-23. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> both of those. Um, I think, uh, uh, yeah, like I was just like, woo dog, woo dog 23. That's one. I'm not going to forget that because that is now burned in my brain. So this has been an absolute delight. Cannot thank you both for coming on this show. And I hope to have you back on the show again in the future because this was an incredible conversation. So thank you both so much. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. It was that. a wonderful conversation yeah, with you as well. It's a pleasure. And listeners, you've been detoxing with detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast, or visit DetoxPodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com. <laughs>